The party's over. The music no longer playing, the candles have burned down, and a few leftover napkins and some trash are scattered on the floor. You've seen the last guest to the door, and clicking the latch after them, you take a deep breath as you turn to face the cleanup. There's no more laughter in the air, and you wonder, is this all there is? Maybe the next one will be the peak. The next elation will be higher. We live from one celebration to the next, but somehow it's never all we think it's going to be. The birthday party, the graduation party, the engagement party, the bachelor party. The world teaches us that we can't be satisfied until we hit the next milestone, and then the next after that. Nothing is ever enough. Someone once said all people live lives of quiet desperation, but desperation for what? It feels like we're on some kind of cosmic treadmill, reaching out for a dangling carrot that we'll never actually reach. But that feeling is not a mistake. It's not a conspiracy, not a trick. When we discover in ourselves longings that nothing in this world can satisfy, it means we were created for another world. When we feel unnameable desires that pierce our hearts and stir up something in us that we can't describe, it means everything is working exactly as God intended. We were made for joy, and not the kind that passes when the party's over. Deep, abiding joy that isn't rooted in circumstances or accomplishments, but in the eternal assurance of participating in God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Joy is a surprise. It's always subverting worldly expectations. Joy is finding the king of the universe as a baby in a manger. This Christmas, through Jesus, we have joy. Well, you heard it, but do you believe it? The trouble we have with ourselves, and if I could speak to those of you who profess faith in Christ, your believers, the trouble that we have with ourselves is that we will acknowledge, readily acknowledge the truth of what we just heard, that there's only one way to have joy, that it's not based in temporal things, but eternal things. So we acknowledge the truth of that, but then we, even as believers, go out and try to find that joy in all the wrong ways. We still pursue happiness instead of joy. We heard this in the video, and I want you to hear it again. I know it's so impactful there, but I want you to hear these words again. When we discover in ourselves longings that nothing in this world can satisfy, it means that we were created for another world. When we feel unnameable desires that pierce our hearts and stir up something in us that we can't describe, it means that everything's working according to plan. We were made for joy. And joy is finding the king of the universe as a baby in a manger. Without him, without that child, without Jesus Christ, there's no light, there's no joy. And when there's no joy in our lives, and you know this, when there's no joy in your life, that's a very dark place to live. And some of you know that because that's been your experience at some point in your life. There is no joy. And some of you, 
Let's be honest, some of you have come here today and you would say that that's true of me. I just don't have any joy right now. And you are living in a dark place. Last week we got started on this a series uh, by looking at John chapter 1, the first 18 verses there, to see that at Christmas, and John 1, 9 says this, at Christmas the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And the whole idea was captured in this phrase, after the darkness light, we've titled the series that, after the darkness light, after, after the, the, the period of hopelessness, after the period of joylessness, after the, the period of despair and no peace in my life, after all of that, there was light, and that light is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ radiates love, joy, peace, and hope into our lives. We looked at love last week. We're looking at joy this week. We'll, we'll, we'll look at peace next week and then hope on Christmas Eve. And all of this is for those who, again, John 1.12 says, those who did receive him, who believed in his name. Did you receive the message of Christ? Did you believe in the name of Jesus Christ? If you did, then you have the light and you have all of these Incredible things that he radiates into our lives as a result. And so in this message, the light radiates joy. We're asking the question, do you have that joy? Do you have the light of Christ in your life? And is it radiating this joy that comes from him? And we're going to see this in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, the first 20 verses. And I really have the privilege of reading this right now, and, and I can remember this narrative is so familiar uh, for most of us, I would say, and uh, even before, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, uh, but even before I knew Christ, this passage held such a special place, and when it was read and rehearsed in my hearing, it just was, um, it stirred up something, it stirred up something, and maybe you had that experience as well, but this is the word of God, let's hear it, uh, Luke 2. 1 to 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on, pe and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Father, thank you uh, for your word. And thank you for this amazing story of the coming of your son to earth. We, Father, most days don't even realize our great need of him. But I pray that that would be impressed on us again as we live and function in this dark world. God, I pray that the light of Jesus Christ would shine in this place and in our lives right now. And God, especially as we look at the word today, to find that good news of great joy, to have that joy in our lives, to have you radiate that in our lives. God, I pray that we would, again, afresh believe and receive all that you have for us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's get after this. Let's start with a a definition, because that always uh, stirs up interest. People love definitions, right? Oh, yeah, I read the dictionary all the time right? So great. A dictionary definition. Here's a definition. This is more of a biblical theological definition of joy. Joy is a supernatural delight in the plans, purposes, and people of God. Supernatural delight in the plans, uh, purposes, and people of God. Now, we have that, um, we have that definition uh, locked down And uh, we understand then that it transcends mere happiness. We always make a contrast between a genuine joy that comes from God and happiness that comes from like temporal situations, things that we go after. Not saying that happiness doesn't exist and we can't be happy. It's just that it comes and goes. Whereas joy is something that's going to last. It's going to endure because it comes actually from the Lord. It's uh, supernatural. It comes from Him. It's not natural. It's not from here. And it doesn't depend at all on my circumstances being a favorable. And that's the problem with happiness is it depends on favorable circumstances. You know, it's like things are going so well for me right now. I'm so happy. That's what we normally say. Things are going, well, what about when they don't go well? What about when, when, and when life's coming at you so hard and things aren't going your way, then does it mean that you're going to be sad all the time? on the basis of circumstantial things that are happening in your life? I mean, the challenge with that is that then your life is looking like this all the time, and it's always dependent on things going my way. And listen, what I've found out already in life, and I'm sure a few of you have figured this out, that um, you know, during the course of someone's lifetime, like some bad things happen, right? I mean, life can be hard. And there are ups and downs. And I don't want to always be sad when I'm going through a difficult time. So that's really what we're going after here. Is um, to have the light of Jesus Christ shining in our lives, radiating joy in our lives. So is that true for you or not? Are you experiencing the joy of Jesus Christ even if you're in one of those more difficult seasons right now? because you can have that joy. So when the light, 
When the light, Jesus, radiates joy in me, it is, first, joy in all circumstances. How many circumstances? All of them. All of the circumstances. And life can be awfully mundane. So, you know, we have these highs and lows. We have these extremes of sometimes my life is just so uh, filled with happiness and things are going so well for me. And then sometimes uh, life is uh, super hard for me. But in between the really happy times and the really hard times, in between that, there's just a lot of mundane. Isn't it true? There's a lot of just like ordinary, routine, nothing terribly exciting, just the uh, normal day-to-day. It's actually my life on the whole is rather boring. It's that, okay? It's rather uh, mundane through all of that, and that was certainly true for Mary and Joseph, and that's kind of what you see in the first five verses of this. Uh, they're just living their life in Nazareth, and he's practicing his trade, and, and in fact, it's probably a little hard for them at that season because... Uh, here's Joseph and Mary, not quite married yet. They're, they're betrothed. They're engaged to be married, but uh, she's pregnant. People in the village are kind of thinking sideways about that. So it's not, but just mundane, just kind of doing their jobs and trying to live their lives and going to market and all the normal things that we all do every single day. And then they get this uh, notification. Everybody gets it from the Romans who are kind of ruling the country at that time. And they tell them, you got to go for a census. You got to go back to your birthplace uh, to register for this census, we want to count everybody. Now, we do this in Canada, of course. We do the census. StatsCan sends this out. It's required by law that you fill it in. So if you uh, get it, I'm not sure when we're due for another one. It's every several years that we do this. And, and it's nice because now you just do it online, right? You just sit at your computer. And, and, but if you want a paper one, if you're an analog person, then, you know, but you can fill it in online, but you can do it right there in your own home. And this is not what the Romans were requiring. They were required everybody to go back to their own home. And so for me, if, imagine if we did this in Canada. Now the government said, we want you to, you can't fill it in online. You can't fill it in at, at home. Here's what I want you to do. The Canadian government's going to tell every one of us, you got to go back to the city you were born in, in Canada, and you, and you got to fill it in there. Or if you're a first-generation uh, Canadian uh, new immigrant to our country, the city you first landed in when you got here, you got to go back to that city. So for me, I was born in Montreal, so I'd have to make the trip back to Quebec. I'd have to go back to Montreal to fill in the census. How many people here, you would just say, I would have to leave Ontario and go somewhere else to fill in the census? Raise your hand right now. Okay, so imagine this. Not, not a lot, but several around the room. Now imagine if this is repeated all over the country, and during a two-week period of time, every Canadian needs to go back to their birthplace or the place they landed. Everybody's got Pearson's crowded. You can't, you can't get a train ticket. The buses are filled, the highways are insane because everybody's crisscrossing each other, getting across the country, okay? There's about a million Newfoundlanders all trying to get back to the island, okay? There's a lot of them. They just don't live there, okay? There's a lot of them. So, um, thankfully, we don't have to do that. But this is what Mary and Joseph had to do. It's just the mundane stuff of life. You've got to fill in a census think about the cost and the inconvenience of it, but it has to be done. This is, this is like jury duty. Cheryl got a notification for a jury duty this week, and I said to her, well, if you really don't want to do it, I said, just read a lot of newspapers prior to going to the selection. Just tell you, I know everything about everything. <laughs> but it's one of the things we have to do. It's an obligation as a citizen. You have to pay your taxes. On your birthday, the provincial government celebrates your birthday by making you buy your license sticker. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. We'll take $120 for every car you have. That's fun. It's just the mundane, just the ordinary stuff. It's stuff we all have to do. 
And here's Mary and Joseph. They have to leave their village and go to another village just to do what citizens do. And in the midst of it, there needs to be, even though it's just ordinary, there needs to be joy underlying it. We're not going to let the mundane, we're not going to let the hard things sap our joy that comes from Christ. Now that's one thing to talk about. Can I be joyful in the midst of the mundane? But can I be joyful when that mundane translates into disappointment with how things are turning out in my life? Because that's the deadly place that it goes, and that's the, king, the thing that actually kills our joy. If we play off of the definition of joy that we built, okay, that, that definition was a supernatural delight in the plans, purposes, and people of God, but a lack of joy is disappointment in the plans, purposes, and people in my life. It's disappointment in the circumstances, how my life is playing out. This is so hard, and I'm so disappointed by my life right now. And maybe it's less about the circumstances and more about the actual people in our lives. It's almost like I could endure any circumstance as long as the people in my life weren't disappointing. But the reality is, people are very disappointing. I work with people my entire work week. Everything I do is about people. Maybe I'm going to lose my job as of this moment. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things to celebrate, and I'm so blessed by you all, but then people can be so disappointing. You know what I'm saying? No one appreciates me. My contribution is not acknowledged. I'm often overlooked or taken for granted. People don't come through like they said they were. They're not the friends that I thought they were. Our relationship is so one way. I give, give, give. They take, take, take. At work, I never get recognized. There's no promotion coming my way. My marriage isn't working out the way I thought it would. My parents are chumps. The kids never come uh, to visit except when they need something. People are so disappointing, aren't they? Oh, they can be. This is disappointment in the circumstances of my life, and these things sap my joy. Now, this psychologist I was reading a little bit of, of what she's written online, Heidi Preeb said this, and I, I think she nails it. Disappointment is entirely a construction of our own expectations. No matter how many promises someone else made us, reality has no responsibility to comply with our expectations. See, this is the problem, because at the root of everything is this pride thing where we think we deserve something. So we set our expectations at that level. I'm entitled to, I deserve this, I want it in my life, but I really think that I deserve it. And this is the problem. We set this standard that people in our lives then don't measure up to. I've put myself on this pedestal, in fact, and I expect people, in essence, what I'm saying is I expect people to come and kind of worship and pay alms and, and, and give me my due. It's a problem. 
And you can see why you wouldn't have joy in the midst of that. But it always comes back to my perspective on, on what I consider to be the mundane in my life and the disappointments in my life and how I'm going to handle that. And what Heidi Pree probably doesn't know, there's no indication that she's a believer, even though this is a truth from her. What Heidi Preeb doesn't know is that true joy is only found in the light of Jesus Christ. And when someone, listen now, this is the hard part. When someone professes faith in Christ, when they've done, done the John 1, 12 thing and they've received Christ and believed in his name, okay, when you have done that and you're telling people, I'm a follower of Christ, but then you have no joy in your life, that is an affront to Jesus Christ. It's offensive to him. But God, I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. No, you are not. You're not the God in this relationship. God, why won't you give me more? Didn't I give you enough? I sent my son. He was incarnate in human flesh. He lived your life. He experienced everything you experienced. He allowed himself to be murdered at the hands of his own creation, though the, all the power of heaven was available to him. He shed his blood. He died on the cross. He was dead and buried. God doesn't owe you anything. You're not entitled to anything beyond that. And, and why would we be? That's awesome. That's enough. People disappointing me next to that, who cares? Circumstances of life, hard, who cares? Next to that, Jesus Christ gave his life for me so I could have joy in the midst of anything that happens to me. Okay, so that covers the hard circumstances of life. You think you got that part of it? But, you know, some of the circumstances of life are awesome, but we can be tempted to kind of get off base with that as well. Because it's joy in all circumstances. So then when good things happen to us, are we giving God the glory for that as well? Notice verses 6 and 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son. So in the midst of something mundane, go and, and report to the census. But now this is a harder journey because obviously Mary is full-term pregnant and they're going to they're gonna make a walking journey Okay, from Nazareth, it's a mountainous journey. They're going to ascend some 3,000 feet into the mountains to get to Jerusalem and a little bit past that into Bethlehem. Not an easy journey, so now it becomes hard. But in the midst of that, God does something awesome, and they have their first child. Now, the question is, if it's going to be joy in all circumstances, then that joy needs to come from Jesus Christ. And when the child is born, it's not like you're taking credit for it. It's not like you're saying, look how awesome I am. This awesome thing just happened to me. I made this awesome thing happen. It's when anything good happens in your life, joy in all circumstances mean when blessings start flowing, you're very quick to say, this is from God and not from me. I didn't make this happen. God made this happen. You know, the past four months, we've been experiencing the joy of having this building. And after 16 years of waiting, it was, oh, that was a long wait. And God gave us something awesome here. There's no doubt about that. And so many people come and they say, you know, this is so great. And look at this beautiful building and what you have and all that waiting. And, 
and, and look what you've done. And, I, and I'm so quick. I, I love that I stumbled upon Psalm 66, verse 5. And the first part of that verse says, come and see what God has done. Come and see what God has done. And when it's joy in all circumstances, see, I could be happy. I could be happy about this building. And then when it starts to wear out and the carpet gets worn and, 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 and things start to break down and it's not quite the place it was and nobody's talking about it anymore and all of the fun parts of being in a new building, when all of that is gone, which it's going to go, if I was just happy about it, that's a problem. But when there's joy in it, it's because we didn't do this. Nobody at Harvest Bible Chapel can say, we made this happen. We look at it and say, come and see what God has done. God has done. He gets the glory, and therefore, we can have the joy in all circumstances, the, the good ones and the challenging ones and the mundane ones. All of that is the evidence of God's goodness toward us. All of this radiates joy in anyone who has the light. All right, I feel like that's a whole sermon right there, right? Did you feel that? It feels like a whole sermon right there, but I got four more points, so that's awesome. <laughs> Ready for the second one? Here we go. Joy in believing the promises. Joy in believing the promises. So the shepherds also had pretty mundane lives. Um, and uh, in fact, archaeologists have found this document, um, and when translated from the Hebrew, it's uh, the uh, shepherd's to-do list. Here's this archaeological document that they found. <laughs> Not true. Okay. Um, so, a shepherd's to-do list, Sunday, tend to sheep. Monday, tend to sheep. Uh, Tuesday, ten, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> tend to sheep. Wednesday, what do you think? Correct, tend to sheep. Thursday, tend to sheep. Friday, tend to sheep, right? Pretty mundane, right? Saturday changes up a little bit. Go to synagogue, tend to sheep. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you get the idea, right? Shepherd, I mean, I'd never been a shepherd. I've known a couple of shepherds, like really, but... Um, Pretty mundane life. You're basically just tending to sheep. Every day, all day, tending to sheep, tending to sheep, tending to sheep. That's, that's pretty much it. But on that day, the Sabbath day, when they went to synagogue, they heard about something. They heard about a promise. And this is the thing that makes the mundane possible. It, it makes us endure through that, through our entire life, is this promise that the shepherds would have heard over and over again. And then of course, in, in verses 8 through 14, this angel appears to them and tells them, rehearses for them again, this promise that they'd heard in the synagogue over and over again, this promise about their Savior, and that now, this angel appears to tell them, this is being fulfilled in your own town. This is being fulfilled right here and right now. And our joy has to be built upon the fact that Jesus came and gave his life for us and on the promise that he's going to come back. The shepherds were waiting for that first advent of Christ. We now sit at our point in history, we're waiting for that second advent, that second coming of Christ. He's going to come back for us and anything else that we base our lives on, our joy on, anything else is going to fall short of that. 
Maybe it was the same angels who spoke to the apostles. You fast forward 33 years from this moment where the angels are talking to the shepherd and the birth of Christ. Fast forward 33 years now. Jesus come. He, he, he lived his life. He did his public ministry. He was crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected. He spends some weeks with his closest followers. He teaches them things. He makes many appearances to people as a resurrected Christ. And then on a hillside outside of Jerusalem, he ascends up into the heavens and through the clouds and he's gone and the apostles are all standing there staring up into heaven just like all of us would be. Just marveling at what has just happened and that Christ has been lifted up from their midst. And then they say this, these angels in Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. Whatever's making life hard for you right now, whatever challenges you're facing that that are making joy tough, we need to to look back on the promise. We need to remember that he's coming for us. um, You pass the Connect folders every week, and and one of the reasons for doing that is just as Pastor Dwayne said, we, we just want to keep track with one another and love one another. Fill that out every single week. But then please, we, we would invite you, put your prayer request down. What's, what's going on in your life? What, what are you thanking God for? What are, what are, what's hard right now? Write that down and we'll pray for that. And we do. More than 100 people get that prayer list every week. And many of them pray through the entire list. And some are praying for certain portions of the list. I, I can't pray through the entire list every week, but I, I have my page that I pray for. It's, and and I, have, um, I have certain other ones that are pulled out for me to, to pray over. And I do that every week. This past week, I decided to go and, and, and read through and pray through all of them. 160 requests from last weekend. And it just struck me again how many of you are facing difficult times as we go into this Christmas season again. How many of you are struggling with marriage things? How many of you are struggling with loved ones who don't know Christ? How many of you are struggling with financial issues and job loss? How many of you are struggling? It's just remarkable how many are struggling with cancer issues right now. And life is hard for so many of us. And apart from Christ and the joy that he can give us, it can just be so easy. It would be so easy for us to fall into being shrouded by darkness in the midst of it. But when you have the joy of Jesus Christ, you are always aware, and this is where the joy comes from, you're always aware that no matter how hard it is, he's coming back for me. He's coming back for me. He's coming back in the same way he left. We can look up into the sky and we can wait and anticipate and long for and plead for him to come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And if it doesn't happen before my life ebbs away and I leave this earth, then here's what I know. He's going to be there to receive me into heaven. If I've received him, if I've believed in his name, and nothing else beside this one amazing thing is guaranteed. Nothing else is guaranteed but that he's coming back. Everything else in life will disappoint and fail and will amount to nothing everything else will die but this promise 
But Jesus Christ is coming back for me. 2 Corinthians 1.20, I love this. Paul writes, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him, uh, that's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So as I think about us opening up gifts that are under the tree this year, how about you open up that gift? The gift of the promise that Jesus is coming back. How about you unwrap that and find joy that you've never had in any other gift that's ever been put under the tree for you? Joy in believing the promises of God. And then see that there is joy in obeying God's word. So I can, I can believe the promises, but then am I obeying God's word? Back to the shepherds, verses 15 and 16, the first part of verse 16. The shepherds waste absolutely no time in obeying the word of God as spoken to them by the angels. They waste no time. The angels speak the word of God and they immediately respond to what they've heard from the word of God. How awesome would it be if every person here, having heard the word of God, would just say, I've heard it, I'm going to obey it. In fact, I think we should get t-shirts that just simply say, hear it, do it right? Doesn't that sound great? The Word of God. Hear it, do it. That I'm not going to, there's going to be no delay, no gap between the hearing and the doing of it. These shepherds obeyed the Word of God with haste, the verse says. But how often do we hear the Word of God or read it for ourselves and in the moment know exactly what needs to be repented of and changed in our lives? And then, Walk out of here, delay doing it. Put it off, make an excuse. Not now, maybe later. Instead of haste to obey, we hesitate to obey. And in fact, we're, we're like the people that Paul spoke of to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 2-4. Paul the Apostle is instructing Timothy, who's a pastor, and he tells him, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Whatever's happening, whatever time of year it is, whatever's going on in people's lives, whether it's a good time to preach or a bad time to preach, preach the word. Just keep doing that. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. A little bit of a sense there that on, on any given moment when a crowd is gathered to hear the preaching of God's word, the people are coming from different vantage points, different life experiences. They're in a different place. Some people merely need to be instructed. Just tell me what to do. I never heard that before. I'm happy to obey it. Other people are really discouraged and they need something that's going to build them up in the moment. Other people are very rebellious. They know their sin. They're not doing anything about it and they need a rebuke in the moment. So different people, I'm aware of that every time I preach. There's different people here coming from different places. And hopefully God's spirit ministers to all of you as you hear the word. And so Paul's telling Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. In other words, be a pastor who gets God's word open and preaches it to God's people. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They're not going to listen to you. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I don't like what this preacher is saying. I'm going to go find a preacher who makes it easier for me. 
I don't, I don't like at all what the preachers are saying or what the Bible is saying, so I'm going to go find some other kind of teaching, some guru, some book, some self-help, something that's going to make me feel good about my life decisions. I want to make my own decisions, and I want to find a teacher who's going to reinforce the decisions that I'm making for myself. Rather than hearing the word of God and obeying it and finding the joy that comes from that, these people look for something more palatable that's going to allow them to stay in their sin and justify their lifestyle choices. Well, here's the problem with that. Uh, this is a problem especially for the people that are in the room hearing me speak at this very moment and working through this very verse. The problem is you're never going to get away with it. You're not going to let yourself get away with it, and the Holy Spirit's not going to let you get away with it because you're going to know that's exactly what you're doing. Oh, I heard the word. I understand the word. I know exactly the implications for my life. I know exactly what needs to happen to, 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 to obey this. But I'm going to choose not to. And then you're going to live in this rebellious state. But you're never going to be able to escape the fact that that's what you've done. The Holy Spirit's going to resent, re relentlessly pursue you to keep reminding you that's what you've done. You're going to have to keep distorting what you heard from the Word of God, and that's going to be so much work for you. You're never going to escape it, and you'll never have joy because that only comes from obeying the Word of God. Instead, you ought to say, like the psalmist did, Psalm 119, verse 111. Of course, Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. And when he speaks here of testimonies, he's talking about the Scriptures. Your testimonies, your Scriptures are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And all that we would come here week after week, and all that we would open this, this Word daily to look at it and say, this is the joy of my heart, to hear God's Word, understand what it's saying, to apply it to my life. All right, still with me? Yeah. See this next, joy in seeing God at work. The shepherds went, uh, verse 16 continues, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And really in this moment, they got to see God at work because they, they'd had the, the word, okay? The angels came, delivered the word. They knew exactly what they needed to look for. They went to Bethlehem. They found exactly what the angels said. And they got to see God at work. They got to see the incarnate Christ in front of them. They got to see the promise with their own eyes. They obeyed the word of God and they got re rewarded by seeing the fulfillment of it in that very moment. And whenever we see God at work, it, it's, not, it's not happiness that we're experiencing. When we see God working in a person's life or we see God working in the life of our church, listen, uh, that's not temporary happiness. That's joy because we know that whatever's happening extends beyond this life into eternity and that it's actually coming from God himself. God blesses us in ways that we could never produce for ourselves. The world could never produce for us. These shepherds went to see this newborn, this king, and they joyfully, God, looked down to verse 20 to see what their, well, their reaction was. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. All of a sudden, life wasn't so mundane anymore. Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. They heard the word, then they saw it play out. They saw God at work. And do you see God at work? I mean, I hope you're seeing God at work because that's going to fuel joy in your life. 
Maybe I could... Um, Maybe I could share with you one way that God is at work here in our church. Would it be okay if I shared one way that God is at work in our church? And I thought like the best way to do that, the best thing to share rather, would be um, something that relates directly to the passage. So we have the birth of a child. And so I thought I would just share with you one of the ways that God is working in our church is through all the new arrivals that have come to our church since last Christmas. Would you like to see that? All right, would you like to meet some of these? So this is Ariana and Avery and Ayla, and Eli, and Eloise, and Elsie, and Emily, and Evelyn, and Ira, who was born just this week, and James and Zachary, who have to share a frame because they're twins, and Leo and Sullivan, who I hope they're calling Sully, and Theo and Titus and Torin and Ira. Oh, come on, do it all together. Aww. Exactly, exactly. I mean, so much cuteness in one place. And it just, it does, it, it brings joy to our hearts because we see God at work and it, the, the, these pictures represent so much for us. Not just birth to a family, but the blessings of God that have come to our church as a whole. I want you to leave that slide up for us, Dave. And Jeannie, uh, who is our director of Harvest Kids Ministry, our children's ministry director, is over here to my left. And Jeannie received an email this week from a mom of four, I believe, who has only recently started attending Harvest. And I'm going to read. It was a really long email, and I, I don't know how she wrote it with four kids. Um, but <laughs> um, but I just I plucked out one paragraph here where she says, I've decided to make Harvest my home church because of the outstanding children's ministry that I know you work very hard on. I'm always impressed with the children's church ministry you provide for parents. Whenever I drop off my baby, they are happy to take him. And when I pick him up, they tell me how much they loved taking care of him. Dropping off and picking up my other two children is always fairly easy and organized with your ticket process. I love that the children's program is, and she puts in caps, the entire church service so I can go to the service and have a full hour and a half away from my children. <laughs> I hope I'm reading that with the right uh, emphasis. Uh, to spend time being blessed with an outstanding worship experience. I always leave Harvest feeling that I am loved. Now, first of all, kudos to Jeannie and her team and uh, for what they do in Harvest Kids and just loving on these families and loving on these children. But you see... The birth of 17 children is an evidence of uncommon community in our midst. It's, it's the evidence that the love of God, which doesn't come from us, remember, love first comes from God and he gives it to us, that anything good that's happening here is happening because of him. These pictures represent the fact that our church is alive and multi-generational and we have young families who love to come here and be a part of this, not just because someone will watch their four kids for an hour and a half, but, be, but because they're hearing the word of God and because they're being loved on and cared for in this environment. And they can come here and be part of the body of Christ that's worshiping and hearing the word of God together. And all of this is evidence of God's love. And none of it, none of it can be put at the credit of any person in the room. It's 100% what God is doing in our midst. When God is at work, these are the kinds of things that you hear. And again, I've said it so many times and I said it earlier in the message, this is not our work but his. The love comes from him. It's all Jesus all the time. And that should give us all joy. Every time we see it, every time we hear about it, every time we experience it ourselves right here in this fam, in the harvest family that he has given to us. Amen?
All right, finally, when the light, Jesus radiates joy in me, it is joy in sharing the light with others. I just want to tell other people about him. This is what the shepherds did, verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I mean, when you, when you really get what Jesus has done for you, you want to share it. Now, sadly, the thing that happens is when people grow up in the church or when people um, are converted at some point in their life, that the, the more time that passes between their conversion, coming to faith in Christ, and where they are now, the more time that passes, the less and less they share their faith. When people first come to Christ, uh, especially as teens or adults, they're very eager to share it with other people. Oh, come and see what God has done. Come and visit my church. You won't believe the change that's happening in my life. And you, you tell all these other people about the awesome things that are happening and you want them to know about Jesus. And then the longer you spend in the church, you're now involved in a small group and you're on a serving team and you're coming to worship and the whole ebb and flow of your life has changed. And this becomes so routine and so normal for us then we lose the contacts and we lose the boldness to actually just say to people, would you come and see the thing that God is doing here? Let me tell you about how Jesus has transformed my life. When we fall into that comfortable place, it dulls the edge of the Great Commission responsibility that we have. And I'll say it again, I've said it before in, in previous weeks, Christmas provides us with the number one opportunity to share what we believe with others of all of the other holidays on the calendar and everything else special that happens and all the other opportunities we might have to invite people, including every weekend service, Christmas is number one by far when it comes to the invitation that people will accept if you just ask them. Unbelievers in your life are more open than now than at any other time of year to come to see your church, to hear the message, to experience the worship, to, to meet the people that you love so much here. And all that, we would just find the boldness to invite them to, to come and to be a part of all of this. They're wondering. The shepherds, the shepherds went and they told their friends, they told anybody who would listen what happened. And the text tells us that the people wondered at all the things the shepherds were telling them. And people wonder. They do. They wonder about you. They're thinking about it. They're considering it. They're challenged by what's happened in your life. They're thinking about their own mundane lives and their own disappointments because everybody's got them. We want people to be struck by this good news of great joy that's so transformed our lives. And so, you know, we want to make this super easy for you. And so we have these invitation cards, and I think Pastor Dwayne mentioned them during the uh, announcements, and these are going to be handed to you on the way out the door again. And we want you to take a few of these and think about some people and pray about them and then invite them to come here for Christmas Eve. Take some cards, put them in your purse or wallet, carry them with you, and hand them to people. And then for people that you know more personally, you can send them an email or a text, and we have on our website, the inf information is all right there, harvestberry.ca slash Christmas. You can go there and then click on the Christmas Eve service, and you'll go to a calendar page with all the details about our Christmas Eve services. Take that link and text it to friends and, and email it out and let people know about this. Would you come? Can I host you? Can I get tickets for you? 
Use your social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Link to this page. Post the art on your Facebook page and, and let social media be saturated by the people of this church with what God is going to do here at Christmas. And let's fill this building three times over with people who will hear the message. We're going to carry on with this series. The last message is hope, and I'm going to preach a much shorter message, maybe 12, 15 minutes on hope. And we're going to have music, and the room is going to be beautifully set up, and it's going to be a wonderful environment for you to come and for you to bring your family and friends to hear the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ alone. And we do all of that because the light is radiating joy in our lives, and we just can't contain the things that we have seen and, hear, and heard. Amen? Yeah. can't. That's what it looks like when the light of Jesus Christ radiates his joy in us, and I pray that you have it, that you want it. So let's pray together. Father, thanks uh, so much for, um, again, speaking to us in this way and providing us with uh, an opportunity to respond to you. And I pray, God, that each person in this room would find the joy of Jesus Christ in what we have just heard from your word, and we would be eager to hear it and do it, to let this joy radiate out from us. And God, if there's anybody in the room and life is just so hard for them right now and they're in the, in the darkness, whether professing Christ or not, God, I pray that they would be lifted out of that, that that you would encourage them in this moment and build them up. Father, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, for us. We pray right now in his name.